Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? The show where I will uncover the stories of domestic abuse survivors. I'm your host, Maya Hoover. Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? My name is Maya Huber, and I am um, the host of What Was Her Name? Uh, today, I am here with my guest, Christina Pierce. Um, Christina and I connected via Instagram, and uh, you may have followed Chris- Christina Pierce on Instagram. Um, I know you're um, advocating online for your uh, children at the moment, and um, you may know her on Single Mama Magic. Um, and a lot of us have been following your story and honestly just captivated by like your bravery in this space. Um, so I will just, I feel honored to have you in this space. Um, Christina, where are you um, currently calling from? Do you feel comfortable like sharing your location or do you want to just? Yeah, no. Um, and thank you so much for having me. It's um, it's never, I think, a space anybody would want to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but at the same time, um, you know, my biggest fear is that um, I don't want my children to be forgotten um, and that I want to ensure their safety. So that's been my top priority. Um, I am in the Boston area. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do feel comfortable saying Boston um, because I've had to attend uh, some local meetings and things like that. So um, I am in my hometown of Boston proper. Hmm. And um, how long were you? So typically, like as far as episodes go, um, we do a lot of like our stories of abuse, which is obviously what we're gonna walk walk through today, but also is in the aftermath and advocacy that you do um currently. Obviously, they're intertwined, but um, just in regards to, I want to get a timeline in the regards to how long you guys were together and how long you've been out as well as how long it's been with your children that they have been removed from your custody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you want me to just give you a little overview? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I am still married, uh, but at the time of separation, I was married for 12 years. I, um, met my husband when I was 19 years old and I married when I was 22. Um, so I used to joke I was a child bride. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, basically at the time of separation, we had just landed in Boston uh, the day that quarantine began. Um, the exact same day we landed to a ghost town from our family vacation in the Bahamas. And um, I had opened the mail that the cat sitter had left behind and had found bank account information and discovered that he had transferred out 100% of our joint funds. Um, So that was a really um, horrible experience, but also coincidentally timed with um, a major shutdown of the world, which, um, you know, is a, is terrible timing to endure a major trauma um, when you, you know, need, as much support and people surrounding you and, um, you know, no one's available for safety because, you know, no one wants to potentially kill each other. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So you guys were, you guys were really young when you guys met initially. Yeah. We met in college. Um, so yeah, we met, yeah, I was 19 years old. And the joke I used to say is he took my spare set of keys on day one and never left. Mm. Wow. And what was it like in the beginning initially when you guys met as far as like who he was, how you knew him? 
Um, we had met in a business law class. We both went to um, Boston University and, uh, you know, we got really close really fast. Um, you know, we were friends for a little bit. And then, you know, I would say once we started dating, I remember one of the literal first days that's what he was like, hey, do you have a spare set of keys? So you don't have to keep buzzing me in. And I remember thinking it was kind of strange, um, but at the same time, I guess I thought it was nice that he wanted to spend so much time with me. Um, and, you know, this was like an anecdotal story that we would even say in our marriage. So, um, yeah, he literally nearly unofficially moved right in from day one and I was almost never alone since. Hmm. Wow. And initially, like, as you started to see, like, his character unfold, um, obviously it changed like his character, but, um, what was he like in the beginning? Um, in the beginning, I think we might've bonded over some, um, tough histories with our families. Um, and at that time, I think that, you know, he had always described himself as, uh, the black sheep of his family and, um, you know, had kind of explained himself as maybe wanting things different than his family, wanted for him. And, um, I think that in our early relationship, he kind of expressed wanting to uh, kind of go out on his own against some of those things and, um, you know, enjoyed, you know, my support and maybe feeling not alone in that. Um, however, our early stages, um, you know, we were in couples therapy while we were dating and that was primarily due to, um, some challenges that he was facing with his family and, um, you know, how those impacted our relationship. So there were, you know, things that, um, became challenging and problematic early on some issues, telling the truth, um, some issues with finances, things like that. Um, but I always, I, well, one of the things that kind of gave me hope was his willingness for um, at least couples therapy, as I said, and always seemed to kind of have this interest on, you know, working on these quote demons, for lack of better words, um, to kind of improve himself in our relationship is how I kind of viewed it initially. Hmm. Yeah. And I feel like when, like when someone has, uh, I mean, I come from a broken family. I know there's a lot of people in this space who do as well. Um, but I feel like there's this sort of like repair that we all do, um, as we get older and like, it definitely manifests in our marriages and, um, in our interpersonal relationships. But I feel like that can be a tricky place, um, for people to kind of like stay in and then to find a compassion or sympathy that while there is compassion and sympathy, like behavior that starts to unravel, that is like in response to that and kind of used as like a scapegoat. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I, I think that for us, um, and when I say us, I mean, generally speaking, a lot of, um, women will feel like, well, everybody deserves love. And well, well, my partner is trying and who am I to abandon them? And, um, you know, just anecdotally, uh, when I was at Disney World recently, um, it was my nine-year-old daughter's birthday present. And for, you know, I gathered up the courage to take two kids to Disney by myself, but we encountered this family and this, you know, wife helping out her um, paralyzed husband, um, you know, on and off the rides. And and I remember thinking to myself, you know, I know a lot of men who have abandoned friends that were in chemotherapy for breast cancer, yet this woman will 
likely stand by this man because this was the man she loved and who would she be to abandon him? That would be selfish. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that those are things that, you know, when we have that compassion, we have that empathy, you know, we put people ahead of ourselves and, and who would I be to not, you know, you know, who would I be to not stay and to work on this and, and to, you know, give every benefit of the doubt. Interesting. Yeah. I almost feel like the vulnerability backfired in a sense, because it's like, like you, um, extending compassion, like it is like something that I think is like naturally required in relationships as you grow. But then there comes a point where I feel like in this space a lot, there's a lot of, um, really similar type of dynamics where it's like, I don't know, there's something like a a, a present struggle or addiction or some sort of substance abuse or like familial dynamic that just makes them act the way that they do or makes them struggle. And then you find this like sympathy or empathy, which is like valid. Everybody has um, crap that they're going through, but at the same time, it's like, it, can- it it almost enables it. And it- and I, you know, in hindsight, it almost enables it. And it comes from, I think, a lack of boundaries as well yes. in that, you know, you don't set clear boundaries for yourself. And by default, not that anybody who's a victim of something like this did it to themselves, but it's um, it enables it. And that doesn't negate the responsibility of the person you know, doing it on the other side, but, um, it, it does, uh, you know, create for lack of better words, a perfect storm and a degree for these things to worsen over time. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it. It definitely enables, um, 100%. Um, when did you first notice that something was wrong? Um, I would say, Shortly after I was married, um, you know, comments started to be made about my weight. Um, And for context, I was five foot. I always round. I was like the one American that rounds her height down because I like threes better than fours. I'm almost five, four, but I say I'm five, three, but I was maybe five, three and 115 pounds and, you know, curvy at that. So very slender. And I, you know, recall him starting to make comments on my weight Um, and I, at that point fired back and I was like, just because, you know, you might have issues with food, like, don't, don't take that out on me. Like, you know, um, and those would be times that would wear down over time to be like, yeah, I know that, but you know, at the time, um, you know, I was, it was new. And so I was able to stand up to it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that some of the fighting just got more, volatile from there you know I there was a time when um you know he had pulled his fist back and and lunged at me and I was like what are you gonna punch me in the face go ahead and do it I'd I'd love to see not I'd love to see you do it but it was like go ahead and do it and I remember him kind of balk at that um because I I like stood up and I was like are you kidding me right um and so I don't recall anything like that potentially happening again Um, although there are things that, you know, after the dust settled and after we separated things that I remembered that I had blacked out or things that I had told a friend that, you know, I still can't remember to this day, but I know they were true or I wouldn't have said them. Mm. Um, you know, I, I saw them in my own writing. Um, but I think that's when, you know, things started getting really concerning and my response to that, I think was to kind of blame myself and think that, there must be childhood issues I have um, 
which subconsciously might have been a way for me to try to get some keys to find my way out of this. But at the time, I think I kind of blamed myself um, and ultimately had landed me in therapy. Um, and I joke that was the longest non-toxic relationship I've ever had. But um, around 25, I entered therapy and I remained there um, for maybe 10 or 12 years. Mm. Yeah, I think it's interesting, like just the dynamic of like removing, I, I don't know, like just the like squashing um, because it's, it's like, I mean, weight is like a vulnerable thing and it's like the chipping away at like self-confidence and self-worth. And like, I'm like, I mean, the fact that you're like, like hypothetically five, three, one, 115, like that's crazy that someone be like, you're overweight. That's like, that's it that's like a ridiculous comment that makes absolutely no sense. Um, and it's of- those little things that chip away at you over time that, you know, at first you were like, what? I remember, you know, him first finding a scale under my bed and I never weighed myself and after, you know, but over time, you know, watching his concerns with weight, um, you know, and what would later be diagnosed as like body dysmorphia, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it led to issues with myself to, you know, as, you know, at the end of the day, comments towards the end of my marriage that were like, I know you look great. Everybody knows you look great, but if you want to fix all that, I'll pay for it. And, and, you know, it it struck me as strange, but I would kind of rationalize it like, oh, he's trying to help because, you know, he's trying to be helpful because I must complain about my weight too much and he's being supportive. Um, But, you know, it morphed into that versus me being like, what are you talking about? Like, that's inappropriate. You can't talk to me like that. You know, things like that did wear down over time um, to a point of confidence that had changed within me over years. Mm. Yeah. You wrote here, um, I remember the dead look that he would get in his eyes. And I was worried he was a sociopath. That empty feeling in someone's eyes is like something I hear. I've, I've lost count of how many times someone said that. And I also said shark shark eyes. I call it shark eyes, shark eyes. Yeah. Yes. And it's just this hollow stare. Yeah, it was, it was really frightening and I really can't, remember, um, to be honest, I can't recall what led me to think that. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things that I still do think I've blacked out. Yeah. Um, but what I call very vividly is that I was so young and naive that um, I did what any normal person should do if they think someone's a sociopath, you would confront them, right? Because right. that that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so in hindsight, I don't really know what I was thinking, but I think I was like desperate. I was scared. Mm-hmm. And I think that... Um, I confronted it and that just led to, you know, him blowing up, taking my keys, taking my handbag, taking my car and abandoning me at the mall. Mm. So I remember that event. I remember being concerned about that. I remember distinctly reading about it and this dead look in the eyes. Yeah. Um, But it's hard to remember, you know, all of the things that kind of led me to that thought. um, Mm -hmm. If that makes sense, there's definitely things I've blacked out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like, nobody wants to think that about the person that they're married to, um, <laughs> um, in questioning that, but like, I feel like 
if you're having a Google search, like, is my husband a sociopath? <laughs> it was probably a problem. Um, uh, absolutely. And I, I mean, you know, those are, it's like, what would you tell your, you know, 25 year old self? But, um, you know, I think I wanted so desperately for it to be wrong. And I'm certainly at no place to diagnose. And I, I, you know, I don't, I'm not at a place to, you know, state on, you know, what he may or may not have, but, um, you know, I wanted so desperately to, for, to find all the reasons why, um, that's not who I married to. And that, you know, there must be another reason for that, like dead look that he can get in his eyes. Um, you know, there's a photograph that, uh, a photographer took, we used to do a lot of fashion events. Um, we were, you know, I joke, I used to be cool before I had kids, but we used to run a lot of fashion shows and there's this photograph that a photographer took and I would go back to it quite, quite, quite often. And there is that just dead, empty look in the eyes. There's like, as if there's nothing there. Hmm. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Something you said, you said, I so desperately want it to be, I so desperately wanted to be wrong. Um, I think that's like super, like super relatable, um, for a lot of people in this space. And I feel like there's also, and I'm not saying with you, but just in general, like a shame behind that, because it's like, there's obviously the stigma, which is like people who don't understand these types of scenarios. And they're like, well, why did you stay? Well, if you had these thoughts, then why didn't you just leave? And it's like, well, it's a lot more complex than that, but also absolutely, there's very much and very real, the transparency that you desperately wanted it to be incorrect. You wanted to be wrong. Nobody that marries someone and makes a covenant wants to then think that they're marrying a sociopath. Like you love this person and they're not always bad. There's not always bad times. There's good times too. And I think that's just like really relatable in this space because I think a lot of us can resonate with that. And there's often a lot of guilt and shame surrounding that statement of like, I desperately wanted to be wrong, but I think that's actually like a really bold statement. And like, I really like that you said that. Absolutely. And I mean, it, it, it wasn't all bad. I mean, we had, we used to travel, we used to go on, you know, some amazing vacations. I mean, we've had great times together. And I remember, you know, towards the end, you know, towards the very end of the relationship, um, you know, things of this sort had had a resurgence. And he said to me at the end, he said, you talk about me like I'm two different people. And I was like, because sometimes that's how it seems. Like I, I couldn't, you know, in those moments I could rationalize or I could try to excuse um, you know, these feelings that made me scared of him with, well, I mean, that can't be the same person that, you know, I'm, I'm going on this amazing, you know, we're going on this amazing trip and we're, you know, out dancing around and having fun. And, you know, that person isn't a sociopath, of course. Um, you know, yes. Okay. He's had a tough time in his childhood. Yes. Okay. You know, he, he's experienced things in his home life with his family. Um, and, and he's working on that and see, he is a good person. So, you know, who would I be to fault him for that? And I think that, you know, when you want so desperately for it to be wrong, you look for reasons why it is wrong. Um, and you reinforce, you know, the good and you try to space out the bad and you try to not trigger the bad. And, um, you know, those kind of bigger fights earlier on would have, you know, would have transitioned over time to, you know, being afraid of what to trigger. Mm -hmm. Do you know if he was ever treat like, was he ever diagnosed or did he ever go see a therapist? 
I had asked, uh, there were very infrequent times um, he had sought therapy. There was a very brief stint after my daughter was born. And I actually forgot about this. um, But I remember walking around with my daughter as a baby, like in a baby carrier and saying um, in my own head, like, daddy's, you know, just going somewhere to be a better daddy right now. Um, And that was a very brief stint. And I think towards the end, um, there was a therapist that he was seeing And that was kind of like I was at the end of my rope after my son was born and things had really deteriorated. And at that point, um, I was kind of insistent that he needed to do something about it because I was kind of concerned of the effects that it was having on on our daughter. Um, And I kind of really pushed for that at the end. Um, Of course, it was a $30 copay and it was a $300 bill when he wouldn't go. Um, and after he left or after, you know, we separated, I was uncovering all these bills in the mail for $300. That's always was one of like the most frustrating things for me personally as like therapy, because I remember like therapy was, I, and I think it often is, um, sort of one of those like situational things where it's like one or the other, like wants them to get therapy. And then it's like, oh, well, he's doing a session. He's working on things. He's growing, he's healing. And then it's like not, not consistent. Um, and I think it says a lot. And I remember one time, uh, this family friend when right before I had fled, she was like, um, I said, well, he went to the last couple of therapy sessions and she said, do you see any change? And I was like, well, no, but she's like, then he, he like, I said, well, he's sorry. He said, he's sorry. He really realizes this time. And she's like, but do you see any change? And then she's like, how many sessions has he gone to? How, you know, and she starts asking these actual, like, right. and I'm like, well, there are none. And she's like, okay, until you see actions, until you see like consistent behavior changing, like, sorry, really doesn't mean anything. And that for me, for some reason was like mind blowing. I think probably because of like the probably because of the cycle of abuse and just like the consistent rotation of like, I'm sorry, you know, and then things are fine again. And then there's something that happens and then they're sorry. And then they're fine, you know, and it's just like a consistent cycle. And so that's crazy that he just like wouldn't show up and leave those. You have these bills now to pay for the fact that he did not show up for his um, appointments. It's crazy, but it's like not surprising. Yeah. I mean, I think, like you said, um, and, and, and in my divorce, uh, it would be attempted to be used against me that I had been in therapy. And it's like, how is it possible to say somebody at 25 years old entered therapy to work on, you know, childhood issues, to be a better individual, to be a more balanced individual, to, you know, have less struggles with anxiety and depression to work on those things. You know, when I started, I was meeting with somebody twice a week. And then of course, you know, maybe through financial reasons that went to once a week or, or what have you. But I mean, I dedicated so much time from 25 to, um, you know, even through the majority of my divorce, which ultimately tapered off due to, um, you know, some of the financial abuse I was experiencing. Um, and unfortunately my therapist was pay out of pocket. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and also, I guess, a need to find somebody that manages more like active trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, but how could somebody be faulted for improving those things compared to somebody that's never really worked on them at all? And how could that be spun against you in court as 
you know, um, whatever, you know, you were diagnosed with for trying to work on at 25 when, you know, somebody has just escaped diagnoses all their life. Dang. That is, that is gold right there that he's escaped diagnoses his entire life, but then you're, it's leveraged when you're the one trying to work on yourself. Absolutely. And I, I see, I hear that with women um, that are concerned, like, oh, be careful if you're on medication. And it's like, are you saying that taking generic and a generic, you know, something that even a primary care physician could prescribe for depression so that you can be, you know, a healthier mom or, you know, uh, that, that, that should have a shame or a stigma attached to it versus somebody that doesn't do that, that then explodes on their children all the time. I don't, I just didn't understand the rationale. And I think that, um, you know, there's a big lack of understanding of that in family court, as well as um, a dismissive of even wanting to understand that. Um, that's that's kind of what I've seen, unfortunately. Yeah. No, 100%. I remember in court clinic and one of the final like reviews in, in court, the a uh, court clinician, he gave his read and he's, I remember he said, uh, they have a submit like these about like, kind of like our, I submitted, he was like, I want you to submit all of these, uh, you know, this proof that you're in therapy. And I had been in like extensive therapy, naturally had PTSD because hello abuse. And then he obviously is not doing therapy, not doing counseling. So he had had um, like reviews from his friends and family saying like, oh, he's such a great guy. He's so trustworthy. And then in the court clinic, I remember as he read off our two submissions, um, <laughs> my ex-husband was like leveraged for how great his family and friends thought he was. And then I was painted as this woman who has PTSD and is in extensive therapy for her trauma. <laughs> oh, me too. I'm in the PTSD club too. Yeah. Um, you like know, a- that, that I've worked on in therapy for like 12 years, right. Right. you know, um, I don't, I mean, did I have PTSD then? I mean, I don't, I mean, do I have PTSD now from losing my children? Probably. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so when you walk in, you know, dealing with issues from your childhood, presenting PTSD, I thought that's the whole point of what you're working on in therapy so that you can work past those issues. <laughs> so it's um it's funny when those things get, you know, used against you. It, yeah, for sure. And I think you said it really perfectly. They escape the diagnosis and then like leverage and paint the woman to look like she is unstable. Um for, and- for wanting to help herself and for taking the initiative mm-hmm. to seek help for a better life that's punished while, you know, doing nothing, but, you know, whatever your, you know, childhood traumas have manifested in your life, that's rewarded. Right. I, I feel like that's not how this is supposed to go. Exactly. I could not agree more. I think that's like super gold. I'm like, star that on this. I'm like taking notes. I'm like, I just love that. Um, I don't and love- I, you know, one thing I've learned, which I didn't know before is there's two different classes of GALs um, and guardian ad litems. There's an E which is actually a psychologist or, you know, a medical, a mental health professional. Mm -hmm. And then there's F, which is lawyers. Um, And, you know, lawyers aren't versed in any of this. You know, Mm -hmm. lawyers argue for profit, really. Um, Whereas, you know, the first person that we had um, in mediation who was 30 plus years experience in this, um, you know, like licensed mental health 
care provider, um, you know, used to work in probation for children, very well regarded in our state for, for this world. And, you know, she caught on very early on and she knew there was a problem and she set up a very um, measured plan um, for the children. And, you know, my daughter, I mean, my son was like 18 months at the time, but for my daughter and she got it. And I remember when she called me, I remember exactly where I was standing. Literally, I remember where by my car I was standing Hmm. and she said, I know there's a problem and I don't just know that from what you tell me. I know that from talking to him too. And I started crying because it was the first time in my divorce that somebody got it. Mm-hmm. And, and I felt like, oh my gosh, there's a light in the end of this tunnel. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was 2021 and, you know, you'd never know how far you would fall from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I did have a question. Um, I wanted to know, like, in what ways in like, in what ways do you feel like you coped? How is it manifesting in your life? Um, do you mean the current scenario? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so for me, the first night that this happened, um, I, I I didn't know how to survive. Um, and very, I don't know, maybe late at night, I messaged a friend and I was like, I think I need to come stay with you. Um, and I had kind of casually thrown that out there, you know, earlier in the day, but I didn't, I didn't know what tomorrow would look like. And, um, that next morning, you know, I got a text and it was like, yep, you're coming to stay with me. And that's been how I've coped. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been able to be at home. Um, part of that is for safety concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, my aunt received, uh, what could be interpreted as a death threat. I don't know, Um, If anyone's aware of this, but I actually died tragically on January 13th, Um, a tragic outcome of a probate court case. Um, I was like, is that a threat? Because I'm still alive, Um, as well as some people trying to figure out where I am and trying to disclose my location. And um, so safety is a concern, but also coping has been um, staying with someone, Um, someone that when times are hard, you know, could like a dog, take me for a walk or keep me fed. I mean, in the early stages, I joked, I was like a pet because they would have to take me for a walk um, and feed me, but, you know, could provide that support, not just from a, oh my gosh, this is horrible, but from a space of action, like we're doing something about it that like, we're going to do everything and we're not going to stop until the children are home. And that is how I've coped. I, just work on this 24 hours. I mean, not I sleep. Um, but when I'm not sleeping or when I'm not, you know, at the state house or I'm not, you know, doing an interview or I'm not, you know, discussing something with a lawyer or what have you, um, I'm working on this 24 seven and there's nothing else I can do until I know that my children are safe mm-hmm. and until they are home. Um, because, because it's, it's, you know, even in the in the in the suspension of belief that nothing traumatic had happened to them leading up to this, mm-hmm. um, there is no denial of the trauma and the irreparable damage and the torture that they're enduring, screaming for their mother with, you know, their father standing in the background. Um, that to me feels like abuse in and of itself. Um, it's certainly post-separation abuse. It's, I mean, I don't even know what to call it, to be honest. I don't have words for it. Um, 
but it's inhuman. It's inhuman for me. It's inhuman for the children. And um, I just, that's how I cope. I cope by trying to do something about it. Um, just to backtrack for a quick minute, um, along with how did the abuse manifest in your daily life? Um, I know we were talking about like, um, I just want to know, like in regards to the abuse between you and your, um, I, it's like weird to say he's your husband because I am like, he's not, it's, it's, tur- it's turned into a joke with some of my friends. I mean, again, not a joke. I don't want to say none of this is funny, but, um, one of my friends that, you know, was in a similar situation. Um, she's like, I call him my husband because we're still married. Um, mm-hmm. but it is a little funny cause my husband is engaged. Um, uh, so, but yeah. I just, I just got in the habit of calling him my husband because he is still my husband. Mm. Um, but again, it's not, yes, it's not that I think of him as my husband. It's just, you know, people do assume sometimes that I am divorced when no, I am indeed still married. Um, but yes, my, (laughs) my, my ex, I guess. Yeah. I don't know how to, what to think about that, but I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. I'd love for you to touch on what happened over time. Um, in regards to like how he was making you feel like, uh, you couldn't achieve anything, finances and stuff. Yeah. I mean, um, finances were always a struggle. Um, I think that there was a lot of lack of transparency with finances um, that kind of culminated in an event where um, I was notified that all of our savings was gone. Um, And I was like, what do you mean? And a lot of that, I believe, you know, um, at least had it been said to me and and to be, to be completely honest, I, I, you know, I will stand on my soapbox and claim honesty till the end of the time. And, you know, no matter what he's done to me or the children right now, I'm not even going to lie and say anything. You know, I have no evidence or knowledge to think that it was anything illegal. Like, you know, someone like, oh, is he liquidating it on drugs? Or mm-hmm. I have no knowledge of that. And I had dug, you know, later and I, I didn't really find anything. I think it was just genuine mismanagement of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but that in of itself, you know, when I was told things were fine and they weren't, um, you know, I took over the finances after that, but then there would always be something. There would be a credit card that I didn't know existed or, you know, a lack of payment on a $25 charge, which shut down my business account that it was linked to that I needed for my business. Um, you know, or it would just be, you know, lies over things that, um, you know, you you just never, you know, you never felt safe or you never felt that you were getting the truth. Um, but the most notable thing was that um, I remember one of our former nannies was watching me like rapidly clean the house when he was due back to come home from a business trip. And she was like, is everything OK here? And she was insinuating, like, are you going to get beaten that the house wasn't clean enough? And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Everything's fine. And right. I, I that, that's not what I would. But I would feel mentally like that because I never knew what triggered him. And what would happen would be withdraw, withdraw, withdraw. What's wrong? Is everything okay? Yeah, yeah, no, but withdraw. No, you you really seem explode. Um, Everything is my fault. I'm working against him. The sky is purple. Um, And there was, you know, I I would work really hard to like ground. Like, you know, I would, I used to explain it as like, I would hold up, you know, like something purple and say, you know, to the sky and say, well, well, wait, it, it, does it look like that? You know, and and I would have expected someone to say, oh, well, you know, it did look purple. But now that you mention it, now that I see that, I can see that it's not purple. Um, but that's not what I got. I would get, you know, it, it, and there was no grounding. And um, and then it would just stop. 
And then it would be, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm just having a hard time at work. And then I would want comfort, but I, but the comfort would feel weird because I felt like the equivalent to, you know, somebody that had just punched me in the face and then I was crying about it. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Let me hold you where you desperately need that comfort. But the person that just felt like they just abused you, although I didn't have like words for the abuse, if that made sense, because I didn't have a black eye. And I genuinely don't have any recollection of him actually hurting me physically. I don't. Um, it's possible I've blacked something out. Um, but besides that lunging and besides other things, I don't recall the physical abuse. Um, but I remember very distinctly the feelings like I had just been beaten up and I need a hug, but I'm afraid to get it from him, but he's the one offering it, but he's my husband. And I so desperately want that from my husband. And I don't, you know, I, I remember that very conflicted feeling. And there is a lot of shame in that because um, those are two completely opposite feelings that right. you just can't reconcile. And then you go to that person for comfort. Um, and I guess, you know, until, uh, to be honest with you, until you said the word shame, I've never really thought about it in those words, but, um, it is there and it was there in not wanting to talk to my family about it because, you know, if, what if they didn't forgive him and he's going to be fine tomorrow and he, and this isn't going to be a problem. And then, you know, what if, what if they don't forgive him? Um, so I was transparent to, to several of my friends mm -hmm. who had worked through many of his, what we, what I called episodes, uh, with me. Um, and those were some of the friends that I had written things that I don't even remember writing, um, but that would talk to me on the phone, you know, late at night, if one of his episodes was happening when he was on a business trip or something like that. Um, so I got support in that way, but so it manifested have, like walking on eggshells. Yeah. So I know that you already explained, but can you just very briefly explain an episode, like give us like the lowdown, like typically the pattern of an episode. I mean, it really would be that with no understanding of what I did to set it off, um, you would get that dead look in the eye, just kind of sitting on the sofa, zoned out, not speaking to me. I, and I don't want to say like full on ignoring me, but like, how's oh. your day? Fine. You know, just like completely withdrawn. Um, is everything okay? Fine. You know, that that completely withdrawn. Mm -hmm. And, and that would cause more anxiety because I didn't know what was going on. You know, did something happen? Is, is everything okay? Um, you know, did I do something, you know, you know, so I would, I would keep kind of poking like, like what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong. And that would, you know, ultimately lead to the explosion. And I had tried different things. I had tried, you know, not poking. And what I found is that just elongated the withdrawal. And so it almost felt like, if I poked it and and the explosion happened, it at least happened sooner because it was going to happen regardless. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, I don't know if you've like listened to any episodes, but we talk about sociopaths a lot. Um, and my ex-husband is clinically um in like literally insane. And um that I was curious because that is that episode, what you just described is the exact thing that I experienced in my marriage over and over and over again there's a moment of being fine right to like hollow I call them hollow eyes um I always and, said shark but I guess it's the same thing <laughs> yeah and then always like um it the prompting like it was never like there was never um that conversation of like hey I'm having a really hard day today can you give me some advice it was like are you okay? Body language changes. And then you get really good at trying to read their body language because you're like trying, your body's trying to protect itself from the stress 
of having to go through the episode that you're then like reading like the air, you're reading the room all of the time. And they're like this, um, they're like changing the temperature and you're trying to navigate like what the kind of the day you're going to have because they're not capable or willing to communicate to you. So you're having to kind of like gauge their body language to be able to tell whether or not they're going to have an episode. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, some people think it's funny when I do this because I will defend in that, you know, I have no ability to make a diagnosis. I, he has never been diagnosed that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't have any ability or expertise to make that claim. Mm-hmm. All I can say is, you know, the truth of what I experienced. Um, and, you know, and I, I say that safely for myself because, um, you know, I'm not going to exaggerate anything and I'm not going to say, you know, yeah, that man beat me. No, I mean, I don't recall him ever doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I, but I, what I do know, um, is what I experienced and, um, you know, obviously that can sound similar to certain things. I remember when this happened, um, connecting with a former client of ours that had actually remarried her ex-husband, um, <laughs> every child's dream, I guess. And, um, I had reached out to her. I was just devastated. I didn't know what was happening. Um, you know, I don't want my marriage to fall apart. We had children. Like, what do you mean? This isn't something we can work on. Um, even though this man had just transferred out our money and, you know, obviously there were some major concerns. Um, but I went into panic and I spoke to this woman, um, and, I was telling her some of these things and she referred me to a book called stop walking on eggshells. Mm -hmm. And she said, if that sounds like you run. Mm. Um, And I, I'm not going to lie. I did not fully read the book. I bought the book. Um, I did read a lot of the book. I've actually since uh, befriended the writer. I've um, discussed some things with her before for her second book that she was writing um, I was in a support group that she ran. Um, again, I, I can't diagnose, but I will say the opening paragraph of that book, um, was my life. And I have used those exact words and I'm going to paraphrase, but it was something like, how could this person that, you know, that's educated, that, you know, has a career that has a job, um, speak so highly of me one moment. And, and then tear me to shreds the next. Right. Um, you know, and it went on from there. And my jaw literally dropped because when he had said, you talk about me like I'm two different people, mm-hmm. that was because I would say yesterday, you were just saying that I'm the best wife. You were just telling all these people that. And today you're t- saying that I'm working against you. Mm-hmm. Those two people are not the same. So which person am I to you? Right. Um, and I, I just, I didn't have any concept, you know, in that book, it describes it as splitting. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's a general term. I don't know, you know, certainly there's no diagnoses here that I'm able to provide. Um, but what I do know that what I experienced felt similar to what they described as splitting. Yeah. Where you're either all good or you're all bad. Yeah. 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 I read through the same uh, diagnosis when I was trying to internally diagnose my ex-husband as well. So when you're talking, I'm like, yep, yep. It's like very, very similar. Um, uh, and I think it's like, yeah, going from those extremes of like, okay, do you hate me or love me today? Which one is it? Right. And that's, that's a very hard question to, 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 to reckon with to yourself. Um, 
am I good today or am I bad? Right. And 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 how could this person think I'm bad if yesterday he thought I'm good? And what did I do to trigger this thought? Yes. Um, and I think that, you know, you can't control, you know, we're taught in life, you can't control somebody else. You can only control yourself. Mm-hmm. So for that, you know, we internalize that as how do I minimize the trigger? Mm-hmm. You know, how do I keep the, how do I elongate the good days? How do I minimize the bad days? Because mm-hmm. there were good days. They weren't all bad, um, you know, and, and so you try to identify the trigger. And um, I, all I can say is I was never able to identify the trigger. Well, and I think also it's like the question of like, okay, uh, do you love me or hate me today? Also, um, internally, there is this dialogue of am I lovable today or am I not? And I don't think that's something that maybe we necessarily say out loud, but I think that when your husband, the person who's supposed to love you more than anything is like one day fine and it's consistently hot and cold, like the next day they're not it starts to become this inner dialogue for ourselves where it's like, am I loved today or am I not? And even though you can see the inconsistency and you know that there's a trigger that set them off there, you can, you know, the episodes coming. I remember I used to say he's having an episode that was like consistently a way that I communicated to close people, you know, you know, it's not good. I need to talk. He's having an episode. And you know kind of what it is, but it started to become like an inner dialogue. I don't know how it was for you, but I know for me, I really took that on, um, especially when I like removed myself from the situation and I started to like regain more bravery to be back in like romantic dynamics. And I was like, am I lovable today or am I like not lovable today? And people are like, what? <laughs> you know, like they're yeah. not unstable. <laughs> No, and I I felt like I was searching for keys to mm. to solve this problem. I remember reaching out to a colleague, um, and I was like, I forget the exact situation, but mm. I genuinely wanted her to tell me that I was wrong. Like I was like, please help me understand this. And I I literally wasn't looking for validation that like he's wrong and I'm right. Like I I genuinely wanted her to tell me what I was missing, what I wasn't seeing. And she came right back to me and she said, girl, I can't, he's gaslighting you. Hmm. And I was like, what, you know, I, I, and, and I will never forget that conversation because it happened, you know, very towards the end. I want to say it was like maybe very early March or late February that she said that. And I've never forgotten it. And, um, you know, I've since written an article on gaslighting and, you know, in writing that article, I, you know, did some research into where the term came from and it's a movie and, you know, uh, and where, you know, he denies her reality and, you know, there's a scene where he makes the gas lights flicker and she's like, why are the lights flickering? And he's like, what are you talking about? They're not flickering. Hmm. And that's where the term gaslighting came. And I, you know, it was made popular on like CNN and like Anderson Cooper, like we'll leave the gaslight on or, you know, whatever the term was for, you know, what was going on and, you know, the election, but I thought it was, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't, besides hearing it on TV, I didn't know what it was, you know what I mean? And, um, and I just having a third party that didn't, that I was genuinely hoping would point me in a direction to kind of learn how to fix myself. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that, that was something I'll never forget. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow. I think that's so insightful. I love that we're talking about this because, um, yeah, I just like thrive on stories like this, like, because it's just so fascinating. And like, I love to unpack this, obviously, like I'm not a therapist, but, um, the human mind just like is super fascinating to me. And also just, I think the more that you hear other people's stories, especially when they like are like, they align. It's so I learn more about like your story, but also I'm like, huh, like <laughs> I'm like listening. I'm like, huh, like I can just resonate very deeply with some of the things you're saying. So it's like getting my wheels turning. Um, Absolutely. I've, I've solved, I've solved some major unsolvable problems in my life through sheer conversation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my daughter had a major health issue and, uh, you know, doctors couldn't solve it. No one knew what was wrong. And, um, you know, there was a time when we were bringing her like a tray of medicine in bed. And I promised her right then and there, I said, I will, I will solve this. And again, I'm not a doctor, but I, I was talking about it to anyone that would listen. And, you know, somebody would say something and it would make me think about something different, or somebody would send me down an avenue um, and, you know, maybe that avenue wasn't right, but maybe it opened another door and, you know, long story short, uh, she was allergic to gluten and, um, that was it. And, but two people, three people in one day was like, have you, have you heard of functional medicine? And I was like, no, what's that? And then somebody else was like, have you heard of functional medicine? I'm like, oh my God, you're the second person to say that. Hmm. Um, and functional medicine did, you know, lead to her diagnosis and ultimately, you know, for lack of better words, cure, hmm. um, for the trigger of her health issues, but I, I no nobody that's not like someone was like right, right off the bat. It came there through a lot of discussion and, you know, saying everything, you know, talking about this is scary, you know, being in a divorce and talking about this is scary. Um, you know, I have safety concerns. Um, you know, I've faced retaliation in the past. Um, but at the same time, how do you not talk about things that happened in your life that are honest, that are not, um, you know, calling anybody out or saying any bad names, but are just, you know, discussion, general discussion. Um, because I'll tell you, if this were my daughter, um, I wouldn't, or, or anybody's daughter or anybody's son, I, I wouldn't, I would want somebody to hear this and think like, oh my gosh, is that, is this happening to me? Or, or, you know, some of these triggers are there for me that, you know, it doesn't mean your life's going to be like mine or yours or somebody else's, but, you know, there are things that we should be talking about and thinking about because, you know, the things I've said most frequently is, you know, it sounds trite, but like evil lurks in the shadows and the dark, but it can't exist in the light. And part of why this keeps happening is because of, the shame and because of the silence and because we don't talk about it. And so we don't connect on it and we don't solve it and it doesn't get brought to light. Um, so I guess from that to the best of my abilities, um, you know, I opt out of the silence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thing. Come what may. Mm -hmm. What would you say is like the ultimate climax of the abuse story? I mean, I guess I really tie it to the transferring of the money um, and something that, uh, you know, I guess you don't have to be a genius to think about that, but um, the same exact thing happened to my mother. Um, you know, the last culminating fight that my parents had, um, I think my father, my mother went to call for help and my father like ripped the phone out of her hand. I think she had a bruise on her arm. Um, and he left that day and, you know, he didn't know this, but I think she got a restraining order 
And then when she finally, you know, calmed down, she went and noticed that the bank account information was gone. So she called the bank in a panic um, and they were like, don't worry, it's a joint account. He can't withdraw the money. Hmm. But what he didn't tell her is that he can open up a new account, link it and transfer out all the money. And that's what he did. And he transferred out 100% of their savings. And just like I explained that story to you, I've explained that story to my husband. Um, And that is to the T what he did to me exactly how my father had done it. And I wondered, you know, I, I, I couldn't help but wonder, like, was that intentional? Like, did you just, did I give him the key? And again, I, I know that somebody could think to do that, but like, did I give him the key of how to hurt me? Mm-hmm. Like, had I not told him that story, would he have not done that to me? Mm-hmm. And when I finally discovered it and I said, well, put the money back. And he said, no, I'm leaving. I said, well, that's financial abuse. And he said, that's a strong word. And I said, it is. Hmm. Um, and, and it is, and I don't, I don't know how else to cut that. Um, you know, transferring out money in anticipation of litigation or, you know, taking out 100% of funds, not 50% and, and leaving somebody, um, you know, with, with no access to marital assets, um, is 100% financial abuse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, that was the final culmination, um, you know, as well as, you know, things that would be discovered um, coming to me in the mail after his, you know, immediate departure. Um, you know, and I think that there were a lot of it, you know, as he said to me, you know, there's a lot of things I haven't told you, um, you know, and I always thought I caught on to the lie. I always thought I figured it out. Um, but you know, I, he told me early on when he was young, he learned if he got caught to confess to the lesser crime. Hmm. So he never got caught for what he actually did. And so every time I thought I caught him, you know, I probably just caught or he probably just confessed to the lesser crime. And, and I remember thinking like, he's given me these keys. Like he's told me, he's given me the manual Hmm. on this person. Like he was transparent to tell me those things. Right. And like, how did I not listen? Hmm. How did I miss all of this? How did I bring myself to this place? Hmm. Um, And I do have a lot of guilt in that. Um, And, you know, um, I don't know if I should or shouldn't, but I would be lying to say that I don't have a lot of guilt in that. Hmm. I should have known better. I don't think like, you know, like you don't know what you know until you know it. I know. And I would rationally tell you the same thing. Yeah. Um, You know, I would, it's like, it's like kids will think that the divorce is their fault Mm. and, and you can tell them till they are blue in the face. You can do everything to assure them that it has nothing to do with them, but nothing is going to change the fact that they know that the divorce is their fault. You know, that'll maybe be sorted out in, you know, therapy when they're 25. Mm. Um, But I genuinely don't believe, you know, and maybe that's therapy as a child, you know, and that's why I think there's, you know, such a interest in therapy for children. And that's why it's so impossible to find a therapist, which, um, you know, is, is a side tangent of a problem I'm actually facing now with, you know, my daughter miraculously somehow found a therapist or her father found a therapist in like three days and, you know, who met with her on a federal holiday. And I'm like, that's funny. We've been on wait lists for months trying to find a therapist. Um, and, and what is the name of this doctor? And I can't get any of that information. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, it makes me even question that is real. Um, you know, but yeah, I mean, I think that it's, 
I could tell you the same rationale, but having the rationale and feeling that inside and being that little like, you know, devil on your shoulder telling you that it's all your fault. Um, you know, those are things that you still have to fight with every day. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I also think like it's a trauma response, truthfully. Like I think like the more that, I mean, you literally have not had time to process through it in a safe and healthy way like emotionally safe and healthy way because you're literally gripping for your children so it's like I feel like you're still in you're definitely I feel like there's definitely like (laughs) oh it's active trauma yeah it's uh trauma yeah I equated the divorce in general to that I've explained it to people and I don't just mean this about mine I know there's many that are similar to this but um I've said it's a war And, you know, there's lots of battles along the way and some of the battles you win, Mm -hmm. some of the battles you lose Mm -hmm. and some of the battles you might win, but like you've lost all your best men, you know, you're worse for the wear. Maybe you've come out of it, but you're not in good shape. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and like, you know, war veterans that when they're in the war, you know, you're just going, they're performing, they're doing, they're fighting. Mm -hmm. And that sense of PTSD, you know, doesn't happen until you're safe. Because you have to get through the war. And I've Mm. been doing, I've been in war since 2020. I've been in war for four years now. And I was in war before this happened. I don't even know what this is. Um, You know, is this, I don't, you know, I don't, not to get religious, is this hell? Is this Mm. complete evil? Is this, you know, my my life stopped. My my life completely stopped. Um, But yes, you just have to, and a lot of people at this moment don't keep going. I've heard from many mothers who were bedridden for three months at a time or who coped with, you know, alcohol or substance that, you know, I'm not even going to judge them for and and aren't even indicative of addiction issues. It's that this is an impossible, horrific, um, it is the worst thing that could happen to a parent. Hmm. And there's no manual for this and it's inhuman. Um, and I'm just coping with it in a different way, but it doesn't make it better or worse. Um, and it'll just get used against me differently. You know, if I was bedridden, they would say, oh, look at her. She's mentally falling apart. And if I, you know, went back to a job, uh, they'd be like, oh, she's sociopathic. She doesn't even care about her kids. She just went to work. And if I, you know, spoke out publicly, it'll be, oh, you know, look at her. She's, talk- she's talking publicly. That That's bad. You know, we, we, we have to punish her and divorce for that. Um, there's really nothing you can do. Um, no matter what you do, it's like when you see abuse of your children, if you report it, you might get trouble in court. And if you don't report it, you might get in trouble for neglect. So at the end of the day, you, you know, you don't know what game you're playing. You just have to do what you feel like is right because you don't know what's gonna, what battle you're going to win or lose. Um, and you don't even know if you're playing checkers, chess, gin rummy, or go fish. Mm-hmm. Um, you're playing a game that you don't even know what the rules are and there are no rules and the rules change. So you just have to do what you feel is right. And, um, because I think at the end of the day, besides hindsight, you're not going to regret doing what's right or that what you thought was right at the time. Yeah. Can we jump into, I loved everything you just said. Um, I couldn't agree more. I think it's, uh, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. I think that is- 100%. It's, it, I've, I've been at a police station where, you know, he insisted that I needed a restraining order. 
And, um, you know, this I can't see how I could get in trouble for talking about because it's all in my public docket. But, um, you know, the police officer insisted I needed a restraining order and I was hysterical. I was like, I can't do that. I'm going to get in trouble. And he's like, you, you can't get in trouble. That's not the law. This is criminal. This is district. And I said, no, 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 no. You, you. I mean, I was hysterically crying. I wasn't. And I was like, you don't understand. I'm going to get in trouble with my judge. And he's like, that's not how this works. And I was like, you don't understand how family court works. Right. And and he 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 was insistent to me. And and I don't fault him for that. He's one of the best men I've met. And I mean, I don't know him personally, but um, you know, it's actually revitalized some of my belief in police because some of the people that I've seen genuinely care about what's happened to me and my children have been police. Um, and you know, his lack of understanding of the dynamics of family court and how that does function outside of the law wasn't his fault. Um, yeah. And he tried to help. But when he said to me, I'm filing with DCF, right. my recommendation is that you get a restraining order. Yeah. So now do I risk getting yelled at by my judge or do I risk DCF maybe seeing me as negligent for a police officer just told me I needed to do this to protect my children and I didn't do it. Yeah either path could have been used against me. And you're sitting there with, you know, you don't, you don't, this isn't, I forget what that show was, you know, do you phone a friend? Do you, you know, ask the audience, you don't get that opportunity and there's no manual for this. Right. Um, and you don't know. And I, I genuinely think that when you're on that train, there was nothing that I could have done. You know, when I got yelled at, well, she should have just gotten up and left. I would like to know who sitting at a police station filing a police report, terrified for their children, would have stood up to a police detective and said, you know what, sir, you're wrong and I'm leaving. Mm. What would that man have said to DCF? <laughs> this mother just waltzed out of here when I told her I'm concerned for her children. Yeah, yeah. But that's what they said to me in court. That's what I. That's what she said I should have done. Hmm. Wow. And I can't, I just can't wrap my head around that. And that feel wrong. Mm -hmm. So I got in trouble. Um, I don't know what would have happened to me if I had done the other thing. I would have just gotten in trouble in a different way. And I feel pretty confident about that, that there was almost nothing I could have done um, right in some of those instances because, you know, whatever the problems are that I was facing in my particular divorce or that many of us face in our particular divorces. But um, you know, at the end of the day, you just got to do what's right mm -hmm. and you've got to protect, you know, you've got to try your best to be a safe parent to your children. Right. Can you, I know we're already talking about it, but can you just jump into the aftermath? I know we talked about the financial abuse, um, as far as just like, let's see. Yeah. Can we just jump into the aftermath? I mean, in the immediate aftermath, there was a lot of volatility. Um, you know, there was, you know, some, a lot of volatility. There was a time when I had to, you know, kick him out of the, my house. Um, and my friend was like, does he have keys? I'm concerned for your safety. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of subsided and it was just you know, withdrawal, like, you know, he was doing him and I was, you know, taking care of the kids and, you know, the visits would happen when they would happen and they would get canceled for band practice. 
I remember we had, you know, there was parenting time on Thursday nights and, you know, Thursday nights had to get canceled because, you know, the band can only practice on Thursday nights. And I remember, you know, saying to him, I was like, well, can't the band find another night to practice? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and it's just funny to hear, you know, parental alienation claims when I think I challenged him back. And mm-hmm. I have so many times that I challenged him back trying to get him to see the children. Um, but you know, he had something else going on and that, and that's fine. I don't even judge you for that, Mm. but it's hard to see that and then have somebody come after you, Mm. you know, on the flip side of it saying, I am prohibiting their relationship when it's like, I've actually fought pretty hard for that. And for what, you know, why, why have I spent, you know, so many times. So, you know, the aftermath was, um, you know, very quickly, you know, he moved on. He started dating someone, I think, two months after he had transferred out the funds. Um, I think she moved in pretty quickly, um, which wasn't disclosed. We only found out about that after the fact. Um, and that caused some challenges with the kids. And from there, I think it just became a struggle to, um, I think, figure out what was best for the kids from an adjustment standpoint Mm -hmm. versus it not becoming, in his opinion, a him versus me thing. And there's something that, you know, he had said to me in our marriage that never made sense to me. And he said to me, even if I agree with you, I'm going to disagree. And I I never felt there was logic there, but I had justified it because he had felt unheard with his own family. So now, of course, well, I'm I'm his wife. He feels safe with me. So he's kind of exercising those things that maybe he didn't feel like he could exercise all those years. And and so, you know, that, those are just ways, you, you know, and, and again, I rationalized it that way. And maybe that was even true. Hmm. Um, but I think it became a lot of that in, in the separation is that if you were going to disagree with me when you were my husband, even though you agreed to like kind of take a stand or to exert your power, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was then going to play out in the divorce. And I remember something he said to me, um, very early on. And I have said this before, um, he was, you know, ranting and raving about me and I was on the phone and he said, and if you don't think all of this is your fault, you better look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And I took that and I heard him. And though I didn't agree with what he was saying, I said to myself, this will never happen to me again. Hmm. I will not be the person that has this happen to me with my next husband and my next. And, and, you know, a relationship is two sides, you know, a relationship is, is 50, 50. Hmm. And, um, you know, we were together like magnets forever that is. And that doesn't mean to say that when a spouse, you know, punches another spouse in the face, you know, generally speaking, that that other spouse, you know, it was their fault. They were that 50%. Um, I'm not saying that at all. But that relationship that existed for X amount of time was not one-sided. It was two-sided. And whether that was through the other person's lack of boundaries or enablement or whatever, um, you know, I always felt like, well, well, I wasn't the aggressor. I, I, I wasn't, you know, the one in, inflicting some of these things. Mm-hmm. But I also wasn't the one doing something about it. And mm-hmm. And that was something that... I heard him very strongly and I felt like I did need to look at myself in the mirror and figure out how this would never happen to me again. Mm. Wow. And I've been single (laughs) Um, Mm. until I figure that out, Um, you know, (laughs) 
Um, and, you know, it's not that I've never potentially explored something else, um, but I've I've approached all those things with boundaries. Um, I've approached all those things with advocating for myself. Um, and I think all of those things, you know, didn't progress through those early stages. You know, no one opens up with punching you in the face. If a man, you know, took you out to dinner and said, oh, my God, you're going to eat that dessert. You're fat. You wouldn't have a second date. That's not how it happens. Yeah. So, you know, there's early things that you kind of have to be cognizant about and, um, you know, red flags, so to speak. And, you know, we can function on denial of those. And I've done it. I've done it in, since my divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't done it enough to let it impact my life. I've never done it, you know, where it's a relationship that I've gone entangled with or God forbid affected my children again. Um, I've remained single because my priority is on myself. My priority is on my children. Mm-hmm. Um, and my priority is um, our stability. And that's something that, um, I've fought very hard for over the last, you know, since separation, I moved, you know, to support um, local, but, you know, more affordable housing. Um, right. You know, I've I've taken every pot. I, I left business ownership to get a W-2 job, you mm-hmm. know, to provide stable income. Um, I've, quote, done all the right things. And, um, you know, m- me and the children still faced instability. But I I felt like when you're dealing with like atmospheric chaos, you know, chaos attracts chaos. There's only so much you can do. And I genuinely felt that until the divorce is done, um, some of those efforts are futile, mm-hmm. but it couldn't stop me from trying them nonetheless, because at the end of the day, you just have to try to do the right thing and you have to be able to say you tried. And I just can't, you know, sit there and wait for my divorce to end, no matter how futile some of those things are. Mm-hmm. What like can people in this space do for you right now? I wish I, you know, I have people reach out to me all the time about that. And I wish I had a better answer. Mm. Um, And I come back to that thing where there is no guidebook. Um, The biggest fear I have is that we get forgotten about. Mm. Um, The biggest fear is that um, they forget about me, Mm. which is what I'm really referring to is that they forget about my kids um, because, you know, let's, though there's never been any evidence or allegations, you know, I, I talk to mothers that have these false allegations. Um, there's never been a 51A filed against me. There's never been any false allegations against me. There's never been one piece of evidence brought against me. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if there are, I mean, dr- drug addicts see their children, you know, I, I have friends with spouses or, you know, separated spouses that are active alcoholics. They see their children. Right. I don't, who could ever argue that their the children need their mother? Mm. And we did have such a close bond. You know, we do things together. We hike on the weekends. We, you know, we take our family vacations. We are all, we ice skate. We, I mean, I leave the skis in the trunk, you know, so that if it's a wintry day and we don't have anything to do on a Saturday, like we can go skiing. Mm. Um, I know I'm not perfect, but I mean, I'm well-regarded as a great mother. Um, So I don't want to be forgotten about, um, but I also don't have a guide for what to do. So I say, you know, every share, every public outcry, every awareness um, helps spread that message. It helps um, my children have a voice, um, even if you're not saying anything specific about my children, of course, nothing, you know, um, 
that wouldn't be cognizant of, you know, their, their privacy, but even just awareness of what's going on and my children's need for their mother. Um, you know, and again, I'm, I'm the person that as a child or, you know, as a teenager, they're like, Hey, you, you want one of my, you know, I've got this plate of chocolate chip cookies. Do you want one? And I would really want one, but I'd be like, Oh no, thanks. I'm fine. Cause mm-hmm. I would feel like I'm inconveniencing somebody by taking something. Right. So that's really challenging for me. Um, and I, I have learned to take the cookie, um, but I have not learned to directly ask for help. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a friend has set up a GoFundMe, which, um, you know, as I've said, even if, I mean, I've, I've been in places in this divorce where I didn't know if I had money to put in the car for gas. Mm-hmm. So I, I understand um, that, you know, everyone has different abilities. Even sharing that story is helpful. You know, even raising that awareness is helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, any, somebody knows someone, somebody puts somebody in contact with someone and, you know, I don't have the manual of how my children come home, but I know that there's multiple trains moving at the same time and they are all moving to try to ensure that my children are safe and that, that my children are with their mother. Um, mm-hmm. and, and what comes next, mm-hmm. you know, we figure out as we go. Um, but, but I wish I had a better answer. But all I can say is um, help with what you can. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, please don't forget about us. I don't want my children to be forgotten. Yeah. And I think that is um, honestly one of the most powerful things I think that I've heard in this space. Um, because like, you're right. Um, people get forgotten about in this space and there's, like so many like lost at sea that it's really sink or swim and people, people get left behind and then they're out in the water and they can only tread water for so long. And I do believe that in your story in particular, like that there will be like lifeboats, you know, that there will be a rescue team. Like I just know that the system is like so corrupt and that the injustice is so very present and real in your life, in your children's lives, in so many women's lives in this space, in my son's life. And all I can say is that I do think that this community does a really amazing job at rallying behind each other. And I think if anything, like people in the water are like at this point keeping each other afloat which is like one of the most beautiful things I think I've ever seen is like even though there's so many of us like in the water everybody's kind of like linking arms just like trying to like keep each other afloat and like you have a space here in this space um and I think it's amazing what you're doing for your children um and speaking up and creating like a place and people are listening and the rallying makes people uncomfortable and not everybody's going to stand behind you. Not everybody's going to agree with it, but I think that kicking and screaming, um, I always say, um, nobody can say if something happens to me or my kid, nobody can ever say I didn't kick and scream. Like nobody could ever be like, I didn't, I just didn't see that one coming. No, you did because I have been kicking and screaming for three years. And if no one listens, then like I'm going to go out kicking and screaming. And so like, I just think that it's really beautiful the way that you have like advocated for your kids and continue to advocate for them. And like, we won't forget about your story. And like, that's the whole point of this, of this space is like, so that stories can be held 
in this space. And, and I think two things that you said that really struck me um, is that, you know, the lifeboat and in the water and, um, you know, one of my, my son, my, one of my son's favorite movies, and this might be funny from a five-year-old is the Titanic. Mm. Um, and he, you know, I was like, this kid is never going to watch a three-hour movie, but he does. <laughs> and he's fascinated by it. And he loves the Titanic. And I was recently um, quoted saying that, you know, systemic issues like this, I said, it's like trying to turn the Titanic. And so, you know, I literally wrote that yesterday. Wow. And so to wow. hear you refer to lifeboats and floating and and waiting for help and, you know, you know, let's even just go to the movie Titanic, you know, you're Kate Winslet waiting for somebody to come back for you, right. you know, because there is not a lifeboat right now. And I am just adrift in the ocean. And, you know, I can, I can find the drift what I can blow the whistle, mm. um, but somebody has to find me. And the Jeez. other thing you said was the kicking and screaming. And um, I mean, we get silenced, you know, pe friends have come out and said, I didn't realize things were that bad. And I said, and I'm like, well, of course you didn't, because I was too afraid to say anything. I played the game. I did everything right. You know, I, nobody would have heard this about me because I was so afraid of, you know, anything can and will be used against you in a court of law. And I did not want to upset the judge right. that, you know, I retreated and I'm sure I will have to do that again. Um, and, or I'm going to have to find ways that I can keep forward with, you know, my first amendment, right. But also, I mean, I'm not out of the probate system and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, they're, they're pulling me back, let's say, and, and, you know, certain things are going to have to change, um, in the near future. And some of my kicking and screaming might change and I might be relying on other people kicking and screaming and, um, and that's all I can really hope for is that, you know, those arms are linked and that that lifeboat does come and mm -hmm. that, um, you know, someone does find us and helps us because I've been left saying, you know, someone has to help my children because no matter what, they need their mother. Mm -hmm. There's no world where being abruptly cut off, you know, I dropped them off for school and I never saw them again. I was supposed to pick them up. You know, we were supposed to do something that Saturday. We were supposed to go to a birthday party. We were supposed to go to his best friend's birthday party that we've never met. And his best friend is like, why isn't my buddy there? Mm -hmm. You know, those things break my heart. And no matter who the other parent is, no matter what they did or did not do, at this point is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Everybody should know that those children need their mother. And that is not on a Zoom three days a week, or that is not in a Zoom that's since been canceled. Um, mm -hmm. It's not a hug through a screen from two children that, you know, regardless of any issues, let's just pretend those were all not there, right? Mm -hmm. Sought immense comfort from their mother, and nobody ever denied that. And it's inhumane. It's inhumane, and it's torture for my children. Yeah. And it's it's just something that... I can't think about too much because I have to keep going forward and I can't let the hole inside me that's trying to swallow me. Mm -hmm. I can't let it swallow me. I have to fight it. And sometimes mm -hmm. that means trying to shut some of that stuff down. Yeah. I think it's just, um, 
I don't know. Um, makes me like emotional. I don't, I don't think that it's like a coincidence, like the water thing I was saying, like, I just felt that so strongly, like that image. And I think it's like a sign. Like, I know it's like, uh, I don't know. I believe in, I believe in signs. And I think that like, sometimes like those are the things that have like kept me going over time. And I think it's really powerful what you just said about like the whole swallowing you, um, and having to stay focused because otherwise it's like your own, it's like, you're going to get swallowed from the inside out. Um, and I just think that it's really brave what you're doing, um, for your kids and, I think there's a lot here, um, a lot, a lot to unpack. And it makes me feel really angry and also really emotional just because like, there's just so much to your story that like you need space to unpack. And like, you're not even being given that option because now you're in a fight for your kids. And it's like one thing after the other that it's like, when that like plateau comes, I'm just like, your body, like what will happen, like when you plateau, because like right now you're in adrenaline right now you're in fight or flight. And it's like, you have to do that because like you're a mother and your kids come before um, you do that. Not you have to, you have the privilege of doing that for children, um, for gifts. And it's like, no one's, no one's listening. And it's like, how many times are we going to go through this merry-go-round? Mer how many times am I going to listen to stories like this? And it's like, nobody's doing anything. And there's these women fighting, screaming, and saying like, something's not right. This person's not stable. You're not listening. Look at this. Look at that. You know, and nobody's listening. It's because like, nobody cares to listen. They don't care to secure justice. They don't care to interrupt their protocol for what makes sense to them because it's less paperwork. I don't know what it is, but it, it it's like, I'm getting to a point where I'm like, what, what is it? Because I'm like, it's certainly not about justice. It's certainly not about a genuine, genuine, like covering over children's lives and mother's lives. It's not because if it was, then there would be more people listening. And so many women at this point are being overlooked and taken out that I'm just genuinely confused, like what it's going to take. And so we just keep sharing these stories over and over again in this space. And like, if there's people who are listening, um, as I know that like, we've had like social workers and lawyers that utilize this as well. Um, and just like different people throughout like different avenues, like if you want to get connected, um, uh, I can always give you, I know that your Instagram is single mama magic, right? Yes, it is. It's, uh, um, it's funny. I create, I changed my handle, um, maybe at the early of the pandemic because, uh, locally we had a single dad magic and mm -hmm. I kind of thought that was funny. So I was like, well, I'll be single mama magic, <laughs> yeah. no affiliation of course, but, um, you know, uh, I really embraced like, you know, the single mom life. It became the three of us and, um, you know, we were just, we were going to live our lives. It wasn't going to stop us from like going on a hike or going on a weekend away. And, you know, just cause I was by myself wasn't meaning that we weren't going to like live life to the fullest. So, um, Bengal mama magic is kind of where it went. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. And, and I, 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 hope, I hope, and I, 
I can't not think it'll get back there. Um, but I never would have imagined it would have been three weeks. I thought somebody has to think this is crazy. Somebody has mm-hmm. to do something. Somebody has to be concerned about my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying nobody is, but we're still waiting. And, um, you know, the concerns that were raised that led here are still there. You know, the reports that were filed um, were filed by clinicians, you know, um, even without getting into the, you know, details of that for, you know, the sake of child privacy, um, you know, there was never any allegations of harm against me, you know, so, so in what rational state is it, even if you don't believe, I guess, even if you don't want to give credence to the concerns, Mm -hmm. is it punishment for the other parent? Like, like what is the rationale of taking the children away from me um that i just don't understand at all yeah it just seems senseless um you know it appeared to people as retaliatory mm-hmm. um you know it it appeared that way i can't say what it was or wasn't um you know it's hard to say what was in somebody's mind mm-hmm. um you know things were written about you know she tried to get this restraining order and it was denied oops i have them in my hand they were mm-hmm. issued Right. You know, and I, and it was shocking to read something in a, in a, in a docket that is factually inaccurate, you know, and I, I know that's just like a nugget, but it, it made me wonder, you know, I would never think that a court or a judge or somebody would write something that's factually inaccurate. And was it a mistake? Was it, you know, that there's too much going on in a day and, and there wasn't enough time? Um, or, or was it intentionally to write that? I don't know. Um, but, but these are humans. This isn't money. This isn't a property to be divided. These are humans. And these are children that, um, you know, as I say, drug addicts have their children, um, or see their children. I have never had more than a speeding ticket and, you know, have invited their father into my home for Halloween. Um, he's, he's come trick or treating with us. Um, I'm not going to lie. I didn't want him there. I did it for our children. You know, I've invited him to birthday parties I've hosted. You know, I mean, you know, it's, of course I'm going to invite their father. It's their father. We're going to do this together. Um, you know, we get together for first day of school pictures. Um, you know, I, I've done a lot of things over the years to include him. I've fought him when, you know, he's backed out of seeing them and they were expecting to, and they were upset um, you know, I've got all my receipts in ways that I have supported the children in their relationship with him. Um, and when it got scary at times, all I've wanted was to find a way for it to be safe until it could be fixed. Hmm. And and if that's my crime, then that's that's what I'm guilty of. Hmm. Yeah. It's hard to argue with like pictures of us in Halloween costume at my apartment and say that, you know, I've alienated the children from him. Why? It's kind of like what I said about him before. The person that you talked about yesterday that's so amazing that you are now saying is working against you. The person that you're describing as alienating children from you. Is that the same person that would invite you to come trick-or-treating together? Is that the same person that would invite you, you know, this year they had parenting time with him on Halloween. I didn't get invited over their house. I didn't get invited to go trick-or-treating with them. And I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say that that would have felt good to me to go into a place where I'm not welcome. 
but I probably would have done it for my kids. And I've always invited him to my house for trick or treating. You know, it, it, that those two people don't sound like the same person. So which, again, I will say, which person am I to you? Right. Because those are not the same person. And it's funny because I've never said those words in the same conversation, but I just said them before in my marriage. And I'm just now saying them again in my claims of parental alienation. Those are not the same person. So which person am I to you? Mm. Wow. It's a lot, a lot. And and where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? The children, let's just say the children come back tomorrow. Are we just supposed to get up and go to school the next morning? Mm. This is an immense trauma. Mm. Like, do we check ourselves into like a mental health? Like, like, where do we go from here? And mm. then it's not, hey, it's time to go see daddy this weekend. Like, like this whole thing has imploded. Right. Like the train has derailed and exploded. Like, mm. where do we go from here? Because as I said in court, on the transcript that I think has been sealed, but I have the audio of, he is their father. He is always going to be their father. Mm. They love him. I mean, no matter how, no matter what type of parent you have as a child, you have love for your parent. Even as adults, a lot of us, you know, with horrific childhoods still love our parents. Mm. There is no denying that they have love for their father. I mean, maybe more so one child than the other just because of, you know, the age of separation and and what each has experienced. But he is their father. He's always going to be their father and and he I hope he will always be in their life. It's hard to say that today knowing, you know, the the part that it's played in this immense trauma of course. But suspending that, I've always just wanted it to be safe. Mhm. I wanted to figure out, I wanted to press the pause button when something crazy happened and say, hold on, this is scary. Like, let's figure out what's going on so that we can make this safe. And then we go from there. Mm. I don't know where we go now, but that's, that's where I thought we went before. Mm-hmm. It's honestly really terrifying to be to recognize like it's like if people who are in situations like these listen to these stories before they leave will they leave you know but at the same time it's like you don't know what you don't know until you know it um and the truth is like as as a mother as a woman if you say the word abuse if you say the word sexual abuse if you say anything along those lines like you will likely be stripped of something or you'll be consistently defending your character and I'm like gripping tooth and nail for this safety of our son who's like literally moments away from unsupervised visitation with his father who is a pedophile and has confessed to being a pedophile but oh, I've, I've stated in open court that if you make any allegations of sexual abuse, you are almost guaranteed. I've read, I've stated in court, like that's been prior to losing the children. I stated in court that, you know, I've read that the fear of even uttering those words puts you at risk of losing your children. 
And so I've never, I've never made those claims. I think something of that nature had been red flag to DCF. And the second I heard that I went into sheer panic mm-hmm. because, you know, the, 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 the reports were physical, you know, the reports were enough to stand on the reports had his parenting time suspended by the mm-hmm. same judge on December 11th. That's wild, isn't it? Yeah. Between December 11th and, you know, getting in trouble for the Lexington police ordering, or I'm sorry, I, maybe I shouldn't say that the police issuing a restraining order. Um, you know, I, I got, I got, an, I got yelled at for that. I did. I got yelled at for quote forum shopping. Um, between his parenting time being suspended on December 11th, there was never a piece of evidence that I would harm the children or or any report that had been made against me mm-hmm. or any documentation of anything against me. So how do you go from suspending parenting time on December 11th to then fully stripping a mother of physical and legal custody on January 4th? And what reason would you ever have, no matter what they've even pretended or, or, I mean, they haven't even pretended I've done anything. Why would you even strip legal custody? Yeah. Is that to send a message? What does legal custody have to do with this? Mm-hmm. I thought we're talking about parenting time. Right. Right. So that, that was, you know, the, the train derailed and it, and it exploded in on impact. And I'm, and, and I'm still scratching my head and, you know, defying, you know, sense and logic and rationale. And, you know, um, it just doesn't, I just can't wrap my head around it. Why anybody would think that that's a good idea or why anybody would think that abrupt separation from a a parent with no allegations is in any best interest of a child, Mm -hmm. let alone a mother-child bond you know, not to say that there aren't amazing dads with bonds with children out there. I've seen them. But um, a healthy mother-child bond, who would ever think that's a good idea or in the best interest of a child? Hmm. It's, yeah, it's traumatic um, for child and mother. Um, and it's wild to me it's, that- the It's inhuman. So, it's wild to me that the courts are so dead set on like, well, a child needs both a parent and a mother. Uh or sorry, the child needs both a father and a mother. Well, a parent has equal access to a child, but then there's some sort of like, but then it's like the parent who immediately goes against um, that initial value um, or protocol that the court has is the one who's stripped of the child. <laughs> and 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 to be quite honest with you, in my state, that's not even what the law says. Right. The laws actually say in our in a, in my state Massachusetts law that um you know things like abuse um you know instances such as that mm-hmm. uh, against the child or the mother mm-hmm. um should be factored in you know and and you know i i think a lot of this happened when you know i think that you know more debunked you know, report had come out by you know controversial individuals that wasn't even legitimate saying well, a child benefits from having both parents. Well, sure. I mean, no one's going to argue that a two-parent household is not better than a woman that was maybe impregnated and left and, you know, poverty-stricken and, 
you know, no one's ever going to argue that the privileges that a, you know, American dream, 2.5 children, white picket fence child is, is it is going to be more disadvantaged than, you know, somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it, but it didn't say how involved or at what percentage involved or, or at what frequency, or it didn't suggest that children should be shafted back and forth like a luggage every couple of days or withdrawn from a parent for, you know, X percentage, um, you know, and even in its controversial manner, um, it didn't say how, mm-hmm. and it didn't say under what circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, I think that that got applied in inappropriate manners, mm-hmm. but I would challenge somebody to show me where it said that, you know, the default is a certain thing that it might not, might be in the best, not it's probably not in the best interest of the child. Mm. I would love nothing more than to say, Hey, ex-husband, I'm going to a concert tonight. Um, you want to take the kids besides paying a babysitter? I would love to say, Hey, why don't we all go on a vacation together? Um, I think everybody wants that, but that's not the circumstance of my marriage. That's not the circumstances of, the immensely frivolous motions that have been filed against me that were not even entertained by our last judge, Mm. you know, and, and that is a toxic dynamic and that doesn't suspend itself towards children. And the toxic dynamic needs to be remedied. Mm. It doesn't need to be learn to keep your mouth shut so that we can pretend the toxic dynamic doesn't happen and force, you know, reunification or force um, certain dynamics that are potentially abusive or potentially toxic or or whatever pertains to your scenario. Mm. None of that is in the best interest of the child. Right. It's like kind of just, I think it just circles us back to this question of like, what's the, what is the solution? And it's like, I don't, I don't know. All I know is that your story um, is one of so many. And it's like, I think there's people in this space while I don't have the answers may and are able to reach out to you and connect to you. And I do firmly believe in public advocacy. And I know that some people don't agree with that. And if you don't agree with that, that's fine because you're doing your thing and I'm doing my thing. And I think that silence only gets you so far. And usually it doesn't, doesn't really get you far. Um, in my opinion, is there strategy? Yes. Do people have different outcomes depending on speaking out, being silent? Yes. Do they also have different dynamics and ex-husbands? Also, yes. And so I don't think there's like one way works for everybody type of thing happening. And I think that you're doing what you can in showing up for your children and for you in the best way that you know how, and you've already tried all the other things. And so I just, I don't know. I just hope that holding your story in this space that people come across it and that there are solutions that there are people who are able to connect with you, whether that's just through empowerment. And, and I think 
more than anything, like having people who are lifting you up in this time and in this space, because community is like everything in this space. Um, or it's like some sort of connection to somebody or some sort of, I don't know what it is at this point, but I just want to say thank you for like being willing to come into this space and share your story. Um, I'm super grateful for it and like need to just decompress all of this because it's like, it's a lot. And it's like hearing like mothers who get their children taken away from them like this. Um, people always say, oh, well, it's like, it's like impossible for a mother to get her children taking, taken away. No, it's not. It's not actually. And I know plenty of really damn good mothers who do not have access to their children right now. And it's not because they're not good mothers. And so um, it's just like in, it's a horrendous injustice in my opinion. And it is like, it's damaging for mother and child. And I just hope that there are people in this space who are listening, who are able to reach out to you and provide some sort of insight for you. Um, I know there's some in the space who've lost, um, who've been, who've had that removed and then had it replaced, like they've had it um, reinstated. And so I don't know, I'm, I'm curious what they would say. I'm going to like send this over to them after, um, and I don't know, I wish I had more solution, but all I really do have is a space here for you to share your story and to hold it here um, where people are joining alongside and rallying alongside and also just listening. Um, because I mean, maybe there's someone listening to this who may even just hear bits and pieces of your story and be like, huh, like, you know, my boyfriend has really hollow eyes. And like, huh, he kind of has episodes and um, maybe <laughs> I shouldn't go down this road, you know? And it's like, if it's just for one person, it's like, just take a U-turn and get out of there, you know? And so I'm yes, just- I agree. If, if, if for nothing else, if this matters to some, I mean, obviously my top priority is to bring my children home, but um, yeah. if I endured this for some positivity, um, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, I don't need to be a martyr. I- I would happily have, you know, opt out from this whole scenario, but I can't right now. So if all of this can mean something, if, you know, this can make a difference to, you know, maybe my state enacting yeah. laws that are changing in pockets around the country, um, you know, our state just became, I forget if it's the sixth or seventh to pass um, coercive control into law uh, as domestic violence, yeah. um, you know, we, we need reform. Um, we need bills passed to, for protection. We need our government to come out and acknowledge this is a problem. You know, we're seeing this in Canada right now. Um, this country needs to take a stand on this for-profit um, parental alienation industry, um, which is, you know, not even anything that's recognized by any psychiatry account you know i whatever the official you know american psychiatric or um this for-profit industry needs to stop you know mm -hmm. and um you know i was at the state house and i was kind of making a joke and i said you know maybe if they just iron out child support first and foremost and said it doesn't matter what happens in your custody this is what the bill is going to be mm -hmm. i would love to see how many people fight for custody right. i would love to see it because i guarantee you most of them would drop off Mm -hmm. Um, because humans equal money and, and that's not what we should be doing with children in America. This is America. This is Boston where I am. And, you know, I didn't realize this was the 1920s. Mm. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
and I know that laws aren't going to bring my children back. Um, but I would damn hope that something is in place before this ever happens to my daughter or to somebody else's daughter, you know, or some other teenager in five years or, you know, maybe not in five years, but you know what I mean? Someone that doesn't have a child yet, that this could be them. Um, you know, and it will not bring my child home. I will re rely on other means, um, for that, but, but this can't be for nothing. This can't be, um, this has to be used to make change, um, you know, while I fight to bring my children home, but, but this story should live so that, um, things can change so that, you know, this doesn't become our children's future when they're grown up and this doesn't happen to them. Yeah. They deserve to feel safe. They deserve to feel that, um, they're not experiencing post-separation abuse or retaliation or, you know, whatever people in my position might be facing. They, they deserve to feel that just like the police said, just like DCF said, well, well, they expect the judge to protect the children. And that shouldn't be too much to ask. Yeah. Yeah, I can't agree more. Um, I'm super grateful. Um, well, I'm super grateful. I mean, I, I, like I said, I'll, I just, as I said, my biggest fear is I don't want, I don't want us to be forgotten. So mm -hmm. I appreciate this. I appreciate people like you. Um, these are not easy things to do. And I feel like we put ourselves at risk in mm -hmm. some way, every time we do them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I might've died tragically on January 13th, but I'm here. I don't want to die tragically on January 30th, you know, um, it's a scary space and uh, we need to help keep each other safe as well. Yeah. And like I said, it, it really is like that linking of arms in the water at this point. It's like everyone's treading water and linking arms at the same time. But I don't know. You have other people treading water alongside of you um, in different ways. Obviously, our stories are all different, but um, I'm here for you. And I know there's a lot of people in this space who are here for you and may not know your story now do and are want to follow along on your journey. Um, and if you have any, like if anyone listening wants to connect with her as well as with Christina, as well as like, just has maybe some resources, um, I would say just reach out. Um, if you want to send encouragement her way, you can do it through me, obviously, or you can go to her page and um, do that as well. If you want to share her story, I honestly think like sharing this story, putting up on your stories, um, sharing with friends and family, like just share the story. If you want to rally and you're like, I don't know what I can do. What could I possibly do? Share the story um, because you never know who comes along this story and then has a resource. So um yeah. And if you're I, local and when it comes time, you know, when they want to protest or when there's court watchers, you know, I, you know, we, we need to start forming a network where we can be there to show the world that we are watching, to hear these things that are being said. So there are, um, you know, it, it's hard for me to imagine that some of these things might've been said, had there been 30 people in the courtroom watching, hmm. you know, or had there been 30 people that refused to be kicked out when, you know, they kicked out the viewers and shut the courtroom door. Hmm. Um, you know, what happens when they just say, no, I'm not going. Are they going to arrest all 30 of them? Yeah. 
you know, and I don't mean that about me, but I mean that about all of us. I do mean that for me, but I mean it for, for general me, for you, general you, um, we need to show up because if not me, you, you know, and, um, I, I never could have imagined this happening to me. Um, never in a million years, even knowing my divorce, I never could have seen this coming. And I don't know, well, I don't know if I ever would have believed it fully. I think I did see it coming, but I don't, I don't think I believed that there wasn't something that could have been done. Evidence, proof, 27 pieces of evidence um, brought into court. I just didn't believe that something had to get through. Mm. And uh, so maybe the, the, maybe what we need to do is watch. Maybe what we need to do is send the message that the world is watching mm-hmm. for our various degrees of what we are allowed to say and what we do get silenced with and, you know, um, for our own protections and for our children's protections. Um, maybe we all do need to send the message that the world is watching and we need to show up mm-hmm. because, again, we need to provide a spotlight onto this so that it does not keep happening. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I am super grateful for this space and I've seen it do many things in this space. I hope that everyone who's listening also does as well. Um, And just rallying in the spaces where you're able to. Um, Thank you so much again for joining us on the podcast today. I'm super grateful and I want to stay updated with your story in any way that you may need help. Um, advocating so just like let me know and i'm sure a lot of people in this space would love to follow along with your story as well thank you so much i really appreciate it of course all right guys um tune in next thursday for the next episode again um the best way that you can help in this space is to share stories um whether that's by word of mouth or it's also by sharing them on your story um sending it to somebody um, that you may think may have those resources and really just advocating for people um, in those spaces. It may feel like you don't have any solutions and you may not really have any solution, but sharing actually is something that um, you just never know who you're going to impact. You also never know who you're going to come across. So I'm super grateful for the people in this space. Um, Tune in next Thursday for the next story and then Monday for Mama Mondays. Thanks guys.